Meandering in the margins of medicine, it's the Short Coat Podcast. Weird news, fresh views, helpful clues, and interviews. By students, for students. Subscribe to our weekly show at theshortcoat.com. Welcome back to the Short Coat Podcast. I'm Dave Etler. We are standing on the cusp of finals week here at the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine, at least for first and second years. Uh, so it is indeed an honor, nay, <laughs> a privilege to have with us some of these students before finals week beats them down. Uh, greetings, Mark Mubarak. You're welcome, Dave. I'm glad uh, to be here. Yeah, Levi Endelman. <laughs> How's it going? Aaron Pazaski. Hello. Welcome. And Julie Gudenkoff. Hey, Dave. Uh, oh, well, I was like... After all that, hey, <laughs> hey Dave. Hey Dave. Uh, I'm so glad you guys are here at the end of another semester. It means uh, that we can take a minute to sort of look back and see uh, what it is we've learned from this crazy thing we call medical education. Not medicine. That's just, that's dumb. Uh, <laughs> I want to know about your experiences as medical students, as I, because that's something that I can relate to rather than ATP. So, since you're a noob on today's show and an M1 to boot, Aaron, let's start with you. Oh, great. Was there anything that you experienced this semester uh, that you didn't expect when you came in? Oh, let's see. I guess another way to put that is, if, if would you, is there something you would have liked to have known coming in that you know now that you didn't know then? Um, probably should have taken out a bigger loan for coffee. I think that was probably my biggest mistake so far. Yeah. Um, this is the lifeblood of, we should, we need a, we need a coffee sponsorship. I, that would be good. Yeah, that'd be great. I don't know. I think, I think before starting school, I tried to picture what it would be like. And I don't think I had anything right. But at the same time, I wasn't really <laughs> surprised by a lot. Okay. Um, I just think it's difficult to anticipate what it'll be like. And when you get here... Um, it's about like what you expected, but also at the same time, very different. I think, um, Mm -hmm. it's kind of hard to put into words, uh, after a week or two though, you kind of can see what the rest of the semester will be like. So I think quickly I understood what, uh, what life like a medical student would be like. So the, the workload wasn't more than you expected or less than you expected or the, you know, the intensity of it all. I think it was pretty much how I, how I thought it would be. Right. For the most part. About you, Levi. Um, yeah, kind of echoing what Aaron said, except uh, I kind of think that it, it was exactly what people told me it was going to be, except you can't really grasp exactly what somebody, the essence of what somebody's telling you until you experience it for mm-hmm. yourself. Like, it, it's something mm-hmm. that you just can't begin to 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 fathom just from words alone, people telling you what it's going to be like. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Did you cry? Also, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but you did you do did you do any was was any of it fun? Yeah, some of them were tears of joy. <laughs> <laughs> that is such crap. <laughs> Nobody cries tears of joy at medical education, do they? Well, I won't question you. <laughs> um, what about uh, socially? Like just socializing with your classmates, was it? different than you 
Was that different than you expected? Yes, it was, and in, in, in the good way. Uh, socializing with my classmates was a lot easier than I anticipated it being, and a lot more effective. I've gotten to way closer to a lot more people than I thought I was going to. You know, definitely, like, there, there are very few hermits here. Oh, True. Okay. Do you guys remember the first couple weeks of your medical education when socializing? I found that unique in medical school. Yeah, in, mm-hmm. what, in what way? So, like, out in the workforce, you know, you get a new job, you join a new team with your company or something like that, and Monday you go out for drinks. Wednesday you go out for drinks, you know, and you're uh-huh. working together and collaborating. And I think there's a isolating part, an element to medicine where you just have to sit down and study on your own. Mm-hmm. So I noticed mm-hmm. I'd meet somebody and be like, they're a really interesting person. I want to get to know them, but I'm busy. I got to wait till Friday. So it kind of drew out that, like, friendship process a mm-hmm. lot longer than I thought it would take. So those first, like, three, four weeks, I remember thinking to myself, like, did I get weird? It's taking a lot longer, usually, than it it normally does to make friends. And then, you know, five weeks in, you're like, ah, no, I'm I'm not weird. No. I'm not that weird. Not sure, but (laughs) um, did you, uh, all right, yeah, that's that's interesting. It's interesting. I'd never heard that before. That makes a lot of sense. Maybe I am weird then. (laughs) I, I mean, you know, or maybe you're just perceptive. What about, uh, did you, were you surprised at the grades that you got on your exams? Yes. <laughs> yes. A little bit. In a good way? In a bad no. way? No. <laughs> Not always. Yeah. In um, an adaptive way. The, yes, that's true. All right. Explain. Uh, it's more of uh, changing your perspective and your, your keeping in context your expectations of yourself. Like, they, you know... I think we call that lowering expectations. Um, I wouldn't managing. say low managing, managing expectations. There oh, okay. you go. That's that's the healthy I'm, way to put it. I, I'm a pessimist, so <laughs> glasses definitely have to empty over th- here. Thing, things have things have been well. Okay, good. Uh, what about the what about the faculty and staff? They've been incredible. I don't know. Um, I mean, I came from a pretty small school, and I know that the University of Iowa is a large school as a whole, but. Um, Everybody here is really open to working with students one-on-one. I don't think I really expected that coming in. Um, I've never had a big lecture class, so I was kind of anticipating not getting the opportunity to sit down with a professor and go over things. But I've sat down with several, and um, they've all been extremely helpful and extremely receptive to having students reach out to them, and they'll reach out to you. And um, that was a really pleasant surprise that... uh, I, did, I wasn't expecting to get that individualized attention. If if you want it and need it, you you certainly can can find those opportunities. I feel like my memory of being an undergrad was, a little bit different. Was a little bit was was like much different from the experience that you get in a place like medical school. I, I'm hoping everywhere, but at least here, um, where you know, so it's kind of sink or swim. In, in in a big undergraduate school, I went to UMass. I don't know. I don't remember how many people, but it was like ridiculous amounts of people. Like it's, it's Iowa, basically. So like, what what is Iowa? Like sixty, mm-hmm. sixty thousand mm-hmm. people. Really? I think that's. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you count everybody, ah, uh, okay. all the students. I don't know, something like that. Dang. It's big, and uh, you get lost, and you can definitely like not. Um, ever talk to a professor if that's not what you want to do and that's not what I wanted to do and <laughs> I can tell you that uh, I also did not want to go to class 
<laughs> we did not have Panopto back then. Uh, and so, and nobody, you know, noticed that I didn't go to class. And so when you come to med school, like, you know, they've got Panopto here, so you don't have to go to class. Um, uh, if you start struggling, then you'll, it'll be noticed. And then somebody will uh, want to help you, which <laughs> I think is, you know, something I definitely did not experience. <laughs> I had a lot of, I would have had a lot of opportunities to experience that as an undergrad. <laughs> well, that just didn't happen. What about coming to Iowa? What did I, what do I think of it? Because you're from, you're not from around here. I am not. I, uh, I'm from Sammamish, Washington. And, Sammamish. Uh, is yes. that a little place, big place? What, what is um, it? It sounds like a little place. A fairly small, I don't know how many people live there, but it's all part of like the greater Seattle area. Oh, okay. There's no space in between the cities and towns. All right. It's, it's all one big thing. Um, drove out here with my mom and my sister. That was a pretty fun road trip. Uh, and I'd only ever been to Iowa once before for the interview. Mm-hmm. So um, when I told family and friends I was moving here, they were all pretty surprised. That's funny. I got that reaction. <laughs> <laughs> but <What>? I've, <laughs> um, I've loved it. I've loved it so far. Um, I like being in Iowa City. I think it's a great size of a place to live because you have everything that you need, but it's really easy to get places. Mm-hmm. You don't have crazy traffic. Um, I've just found like the pace of life and what Iowa City has to offer to be really refreshing. So I've enjoyed living here. Mm. And I love all the people I've met both in and outside of the school. So I've been very happy with my choice. My story, I don't know if I've told you guys this, my, my story of coming to Iowa was my, my, my the, 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 the cultural, what do they call that? Um, culture shock. Mm. <laughs> that I experienced was uh, around people smiling at me. <laughs> like, not, you know, like, hi. And I would be like, are you crazy? <laughs> are you, we we not, don't do that. Yeah. We don't do that on the East Coast. There's none, there's no smiling and talking to people unbidden. Um, so, yeah, that was a surprise to me when people were, <laughs> people walked down the street and go, hi. Like, what the, get away from me. <laughs> Anyway, uh, Mark, you're finishing up your preclinical phase. All done. Well, one week left, and then I'm all done. Right. And so... <laughs> Don't get ahead to, of yourself. Yeah. Right? <laughs> you're about to head off to do some rotations. Yeah, I'm starting off in uh, internal medicine, inpatients. Uh, so, uh, Julie, mm-hmm. what do you think? Is that a good first start? I think it is. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a good review of things you've learned and kind of a good segue into the rest of what your clinical years will be like. I think it's something good to start with. Yeah. And when do you take step one? Uh, We take it halfway through our third year. Okay. So So about a year away. Okay. That'll be, I mean, you'll already have that under your belt. So that'll be, that'll be good. There's a downer of that. I have surgery last, so it's going to be uh, long hours and then the dedicated study period. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that'll be unique. That'll be all right. (laughs) So do you feel... Do you feel adequately prepared at this point? Uh, with Keystone, I'd say yeah. Uh, so the last, the very last unit we do after all of our major stuff. So the last six weeks of your preclinical education is mostly identification of items, diagnosing them, clusters of syndromes, and then treatment. So mm-hmm. six weeks ago, I'd be like, I don't know anything. But it's a good confidence builder. It right. really makes you recall things. So yeah, I feel I don't feel great, but I feel adequate what do you anticipate will be the easiest thing about uh moving to clerkships um the easiest 
I think it's interaction based. So it's mm -hmm. smaller groups. You have someone you're directly responsible for. And I think for med students, we're feedback oriented. We like quick feedback. So mm -hmm. it's a nice thing where you know at the end of the day, this is what I can work on and it's self-directed. I'm excited for that. What do you think, Julie? Mm -hmm. I, I agree. If you're somebody who likes that kind of constant interaction with people, you'll, you will thrive. I had a hard time adjusting from like spending all my days by myself studying to like all my the whole day being around other people mm. interacting mm. is kind of an adjustment i bet yeah so what it, what will be the hardest uh aspect of clerkships i don't know uh, <laughs> not that it's not going to be hard it's just i guess the unknown is that mm -hmm. so you roll in and what's a shelf like and where do i get the resources mm -hmm. I, it'll work itself out though i feel like you are you are among the more relaxed med yeah. students. I, I wish, in a way, I wish we had uh, you know Amy uh, <laughs> at the microphone. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm just, I just, you know, I don't know. The hard stuff is, if I knew, I'd prepare for it. Yeah, yeah. So I just don't know. What do you think? What was the uh, yeah, give me, it's give like, me some uh, It's like some what Levi signs. was saying. Like People tell you what it's going to be like, but you don't know yeah. until you're in it. So I'll tell you that it's a lot less like you don't, you'll feel like you don't know anything all over again. Mm -hmm. Even though you have already studied this stuff, there's a lot more practicality and the more clinical medicine that's really different than what you learned the first two years. Mm -hmm. Funny thing about that is from what I've read, that um, period where you again feel like you know nothing yeah. will happen several more times throughout your career throughout your career you know yeah. it'll happen when you transition to you know residency and then it'll happen when you transition from residency to you know yeah attending you know like so it's gonna it's gonna come uh, back and honestly there are a lot more little things that you don't think about that are stressful like how to use epic how to you know manage documentation and things like that and making your way around the hospital things like that that you don't really think mm -hmm. about that kind of add up to what you're learning yeah the the very practical nuts yeah and bolts yeah kind of stuff. exactly yeah all right uh julie there's no more, there's no more free food every day at lunchtime oh, no. so <laughs> that's also clerkships. enjoy it while you're in m1 and two uh, Julie, you're mm. unless I'm mistaken, you've been doing some of the required but not cl core clerkships lately, like ortho and mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and ortho. radiology yeah. and mm -hmm. stuff like that. I just finished Odo. Um, sometimes people bitch about these two weekers. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think? I, I mean, I mean, what are the, what they're bitching about often is they don't see they may not see the relevance to their oh, specialty, right? Mm. Um, or they, you know, they may just hate them. I, I don't know, okay. but what, <laughs> yeah. what do you what do you think about your two weekers? I I actually kind of like them because it's such a short time commitment that I like to stay open minded and just enjoy what I get to see because I might never see it again. So I just kind of go with an open mind, thinking like, oh, this is just a fun window into this person's career that I get to glimpse, and I just kind of take it for that. And I don't stress about knowing everything. It's just kind of an opportunity to observe and learn about that field. So I like it. I like the two weekers. If I was going into that field or wanted to, I would be upset that it wasn't longer. But you can always do, you know, go go back if you like it that much. Well, I'm glad we've uh, reached successfully reached the end of another semester. 
Levi, Aaron, coming back next. <laughs> yes. yes. If they'll let me. Next yes. <laughs> Excellent. Got you're you're kind of committed. You're committed after the first one. You're already in debt. Right, well, you got true. enough debt to where <laughs> I got to see this through. Mm -hmm. uh, well, good. Uh, I'll be happy to hang out with you in both in the future and, and you guys, too. Um, let's talk. Let's have a pop quiz, though. Oh, gosh. Oh, geez. I think this is important. <clears throat> Which of the following generations report higher rates of substance use? Baby boomers, Gen X, or millennials? Baby boomers. <laughs> Baby boomers. Grandma and grandpa are getting high, apparently. Uh, an NYU study revealed that baby boomers uh, report higher rates of substance abuse than any preceding generation. Uh, your grandparents are stoners. The, the authors found a... So, I did not see in anything that I read absolute numbers or, or you know, the percentage of grandma and grandpa who are, you know, smoking dube. Um, <laughs> but the authors found a 71% increase in marijuana use among adults age 50 and older between 2006 and 2013. Um, and only 5% of uh, gammies and pappies found, uh, felt smoking ganja once or twice a week was a, a great risk to their health. Uh, what do you guys think about this? Is this good news for, <laughs> is this news for, uh, for my parents and your grandparents? Actually, I don't even know if that's fair at this point. Are, are my your grandparents are probably tail end of baby boomers, right? God, I still think I'm 25 deep down inside. What's the threshold for a baby boomer? I don't that know. born in the my parents are baby boomers. Yeah. Okay. Oh. All right. So yeah. that's about. Yeah. All right. What do you think? Yeah. Do you are any uh, you silence show of hands? How many of you know that your grandparents smoke uh, smoke pot? <laughs> okay, that's what pretty pretty much what I figured. <laughs> How about, yeah, no. How about parents? <laughs> yes, Amy. <laughs> um, anyway, I, I don't know if it's, I, I think this is a combination of uh, recreational and, uh, and medical mm -hmm. marijuana. And I guess, mm -hmm. you know, with the, the uh, slow decriminalization and uh, normalization, we'll call it, of marijuana use, it's bound to go up. Plus, I mean, you know, let's. Let's be clear. These, these, yeah. these people all probably, these, a lot of these people probably were uh, smokers way back when and are just returning to, mm -hmm. uh, to, uh, to that later. Um, but there is some speculation, you know, like, is this going to cause health problems uh, because of, you know, the, the relatively fragile health of older people? Um, hmm. Is it going to, uh, you know, so, so then is that going to become an additional you know, force. I guess it's probably no different from smoking, though. It used probably to be, the same. right? Right. <clears throat> I think there'll be more studies in terms of like smoking versus vaporizing versus edibles and all the effects of all those things and how that interacts. I think interactions will be way more important. Drug-drug mm -hmm. mm. interactions. Mm. Sure. Mm -hmm. I, I was just, I don't know. I, I, I put in this story. You clearly got guys are are just not into this story. just not having it no it's, it's not, not that it just makes sense you know yeah if you go to 2003 how many medical dispensaries were there and you go now and okay it, it makes more sense and now it's also recreational you can grow it was this a national study it was um it was a it's basically going back and and looking at data already collected what do they call that retrospective mm -hmm. i don't know yeah. something like that there you go from a database that exists and and you know just sort of analyzing um their responses mm -hmm. to figure out, you know, like what what their attitudes were, um, 
towards uh, substances. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I thought that was kind of fun. I was just, I mean, I, mean, I can't help but imagine my parents. That was just not working for me. But, <laughs> but, you know, that's fine. I think substance abuse is a lot more common, not just marijuana use, but substance abuse in general is more common in the elderly than we think. And it's something, not saying that marijuana is like a gateway drug or anything like that, but if somebody's using marijuana, like we need to check and see if they're drinking a lot. And, you know, well, there's, like I that. mean, we know that uh, older, I think it's older women, especially, mm-hmm. are, are super high risk super for, high risk for abuse. opioid abuse and things yeah. like that, like prescription right. opioid abuse. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Um, so, yeah. Good luck, grandmas and grandpas. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to hang out sometime. That's not true. I don't do that anymore. Uh, (laughs) I'm going to edit that out. Um, When it comes to studying the efficacy of new drugs, speaking of which, the placebo is kind of the backbone of clinical trials. If a drug performs better than placebo, an inert substance, we could say that it's effective to some degree, right? Right. But the placebo effect is pain in the ass, (laughs) apparently. And when a placebo... um, uh, you know, the placebo effect it has over the years gotten more and more uh, problematic, especially for certain drugs like like painkillers, um, because a lot of people seem to respond to placebo for certain conditions more than you would expect. And the stronger the placebo effect, the more participants you have to recruit for your clinical trials to achieve the sort of t- statistical power necessary to mm-hmm. tease out that that effect and prove and and give some idea of the drug's actual effectiveness that costs time and money. Um, in 2011, there were 4,152 clinical trials for new pain drugs, and only five were approved in the years that followed for, um, for use. Uh-huh. So, but what if there was a way to weed out people who are very susceptible to the placebo effect? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can I drum up some fake enthusiasm? <laughs> what oh. if, Dave? Well, there is a guy who's trying to do that. There's an enzyme, it turns out, that cleans up uh, dopamine in the brain. It's called CMOT. C-O-M-T. C-M-O-T. C-M-O-T basically neutralizes dopamine. If it's crappy C-M-O-T, if you make crappy C-M-O-T, you've got lots of dopamine hanging out in your brains. Uh, and this guy, uh, Gunther Winkler, noticed that people with crappy CMOT and so lots of available do- dopamine turn out they strongly exhibit the placebo effect. And that's about, about a quarter of the population. Another quarter have awesome CMOT, so they aren't affected by the placebo effect very much. And half the population are sort of middle of the road. So when he got access to large data sets from old drug trials, and he screened for subjects who had crappy CMOT, he could screen them out from those trials retrospectively hmm. and found the drug companies would have saved millions um, that way because they didn't have to have all those subjects. They didn't have to spend all that time recruiting. They didn't have to have huge clinical trials. So do- isn't dopamine, do- dopamine is a, is, is a pretty like basic neurotransmitter, right? Mm-hmm. Ex- mm-hmm. What is, what, explain dopamine to me, please. <laughs> and once no don't look at me next semester yeah slowly going higher and higher up the chain as people. yeah um yeah, you guys I mean, aren't it, gonna be able to sidestep <laughs> this one 
It's a it's a pretty broad neurotransmitter used in a lot of different things. So mm-hmm. one of the ones is in terms of reward. So it works in reward pathways, but it also works in like reinforcing patterns. Uh, you can have dopamine release with expectations, and that's what that makes me think of. So I remember reading, gosh, in like 2010 or nine, Newsweek had a huge article about antidepressants and the confusing trials that they had where placebo versus a lot of those uh, SSRIs were super similar, but they were dramatic effects still. Mm. And one of the big things that I remember they had a really good phrase. It was like the trifecta, the trifecta of medication is like beliefs, expectations and hope. And when you start breaking those down and their dilemma was like, if you let patients know, does it destroy the placebo effect when they know that? And these like very effective medications are suddenly ineffective. Mm. Mm. So that'd be a cool way to screen out by using, you know, calm tea to discriminate between populations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong, anyone. So I don't sound like an idiot, but I know in terms of like pattern behavior, and expectations, dopamine's huge there. So individuals that have stronger dopamine responses will fall into pattern behaviors, and that's a huge right. addiction-like right. Mm-hmm. precursor. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't say there's an intelligence component to it, but there is definitely a behavior component. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, what do you mean? What do they mean by so calm to crappy dopamine? So is it, so uh, is it just broad receptor. Basically, it it's just not as effective at clearing or breaking or oh, clearing okay, okay, dopamine gotcha, gotcha. as you know. So so there's a there's you know people who make this. I thought it was CMOT, not COMT, but I I, it, I, I read half the stuff and then I don't know how to say I, it out loud. Well, uh, yeah. So so the the crappy variants uh, of CMOT don't clear uh, dopamine as well, and so you've got a lot of available mm-hmm. um, dopamine. Gotcha, <clears throat> gotcha. I guess what they're looking for is the people who have, not necessarily the people who have no dopamine, but probably the middle of the road people would be the best people to have in your trial. But I don't know. Maybe that's not true. Maybe you'd want zero dopamine. Are you going to put restrictions on prescribing practices? Well, that's my, that was my question. Is that, How does that change the generalizability of the study? Of, the, of, a, clinical, of a given clinical trial? Right. Yeah. Because won't the drugs that you eventually are out on the market, they're going to go to people who are any of those categories. Yeah. And so you don't want to target a drug just for one certain type of person because they're not going to be the only ones taking it. So if your study only reflects them, wouldn't you have issues with that? But they're only it targeting adds, efficacy. Yeah, not, I think it adds precision in the efficacy okay. because if it works in individuals that are not susceptible, it'll be even more effective. Correct. It's like an Or just as, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think it's playing it on the conservative side. Okay. Well, he's uh, he's starting a company that uh, offers to basically find people who are who have the kind of CMOT that you want the the uh, the if, I guess more effective CMOT so that they can basically say, well, you wouldn't be a good research subject because you are susceptible to the placebo effect. Mm. And hmm. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. I think, I think, that's I think really the science cool. is unsettled, that's probably, cool. but uh, it's an interesting, interesting idea. Every week on Facebook, I ask you listeners and you podcasters to think about allegedly profound things, uh, and sometimes you actually do that, which, which I think is wonderful. Uh, and you send them in in the form of a voice memo that you record on your phone. I'm a little backed up on these, but uh, I think we can, I think we can take care of a few today. 
let's first of all hear from uh, Tenime, who's thinking about consumerism. Hey Dave, it's Tenime here, doing my short thought. Um, it's Black Friday today, and it's kind of got me thinking about got me thinking about American consumerism. You know, is it the only way that Americans can contribute to global society? Are we just yes, you know, <laughs> trapped in just buying stuff yes. and buying more stuff and buying bigger houses to hold all of our new stuff? Uh-huh. I mean. I guess I'm just thinking like where where it all kind of ends, you know. Nuclear. Um, so I'm just kind of curious what you guys' thoughts about consumerism and if maybe it's just a phase, maybe we'll grow past it as a society eventually, or is it just kind of what we'll always be doing is just buying and buying and keeping and storing? I don't know. Oh, he must have been having a hard day. Of course, that's what America's all about. We got to buy a thing. He wanted to go to Target to get some basic essentials. <laughs> and there was just hundreds of people there in the disgust of, I just yes. need detergent. Why do I have to wait in this line? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I, uh, I note with interest the tiny house movement. Um, which I don't know if you guys have. have yeah, I'm yeah. not. Yeah. So there is a a, a group of Americans, a, a, a significant, you know, like a small group of Americans that that are you know vocal in places like YouTube and things like that, where they apparently want to live in super tiny houses. Like I'm talking uh, low hundreds of square feet, mm-hmm. hmm. and so they'll build things on trailers to get around you know zoning requirements, which require you to have like you know more than thousand square or whatever they are in 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 your neck of the woods and um and yeah i mean there some of them are pretty slick some of them i don't know how i could live in there because frankly i you know don't want to smell the farts of my whole family all at the same time you know like it, it's, it's just like you know super tiny is that is that less consumerist though or is that just a niche market like i think uh, right. well yeah. i think a lot of them tend to feel a lot of people who are into this from what I can tell espouse a you know low consumption lifestyle so a lot some of them are off the grid some of them are um you know they're, I mean they're so small that you can't accumulate you just truly have a whole bunch of stuff right so you have to edit um they feel they say they feel freed by the, the by the lack of urges that they have to go out and buy things I'll tell you one thing don't watch HGTV right if you want to avoid feeling like uh, you need to buy things <laughs> I, I watched hgtv's house hunters tiny homes edition earlier today so oh yeah this is strangely oh, relevant wow. interesting yeah. i because i'm watching you i said i was <laughs> creeping in the databases oh there's more great oh my god <laughs> that's how you that's how you mine for things to talk about <laughs> But it, what do what you was think, Erin? Like? Oh, I mean, I, I don't know. It's kind of a, a weirdly addicting show like most of their, their shows are. Um, a lot of people, like you said, want to kind of move away from having a lot of things. I mean, if your house is 200 square feet, you can't put a lot of things in there. Um, some of these places don't even have what we would consider like a modern bathroom. You know, their kitchens are just sinks and you can have like a little plug-in hot plate or something like that. And so these are, you know... But you could also have these elaborate places that are like fairly expensive, but still very small. So you can retain your levels of comfort for whatever you want mm-hmm. to put in it. But then again, you don't have a, 
you know, some of these places are the sizes of people's walk-in closets. So you have to pick very carefully what you bring with you. And so um, a lot of people, the reason that they do it is not only for the like low cost, but also just to move away from that consumerism. Hmm. Um, interesting concept. Yeah. I find it strangely attractive, actually. Like I a look Spartan at, lifestyle? Or yeah, because there's two. There's Yeah, I, I look around my house and I just want to burn it down sometimes like like rather than move nice i'm just be like i'm gonna burn this i joke around with sandy about that all the time like we were talking about something like a week ago and she was like what what is your midlife crisis gonna look like i was like well arson yeah you'll come home the condo will be burned down there will be a van and i'm gonna say let's go yeah and we'll just go to national parks and We'll hike. We'll live our lives. We'll trade healthcare for food. And yeah. We'll, be okay. yeah. we'll just be some Roman doctors. Yeah. Yeah. No, my wife and I are former bus drivers. Oh, yeah? Uh, we used to drive city buses at UMass Transit. And um, we fantasize about acquiring a, a bus and and kidding it out. As oh, a... dude, I have some Instagrams for you to follow. Oh, <laughs> don't even. <laughs> so it's... legit. It's, it's, uh, it, I, you know, it's a dream. She of could be a, she could be a, a traveling audiologist. There you I go. could be Perfect. a traveling. I don't know what, <laughs> I'm not sure what I, I guess I could podcast exactly. all the time. Blogger. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's super, it's super intriguing to me. Back to Tenemay's comment though, in terms of, do you think, is it a phase or we'll move past? Eh, I don't think so. At least no. not, not in Western society. Not if our leaders have anything to yeah. say about it. And it's our whole economy is built on consumer. Yeah. You have to consume. Yeah. You are, you're a good citizen if you consume, you know, everything from like how we me measure productivity mm -hmm. and all that. It's all influenced by basically buying stuff and getting rid of the old stuff yeah. and making mountains of stuff that you don't need anymore, basically. One thing I think about is uh, as we move towards uh, automation and the loss of jobs, you still need consumers. For any of that to still you know subsist so you know things like minimum incomes and stuff like that those alternative models so eventually i think the number one job in america if you were to put broad industry categories is logistics and transportation mm -hmm. that's one of the first things to go in terms of if we look at uber and automated vehicles transportation of goods is i think it's one in three yeah of the jobs that we have really of, yeah wow. it's the number one and then if you go past that you have automated drivers don't need insurance or at least you need a significantly less amount of insurance so that industry is going to collapse which is i think in the low teens of individuals working in america mm. so there's gonna be huge effects from that but we still need the consumers so how are we going to generate income for all those lost jobs i don't know i'm looking forward to finding out though know, right? should be it's uh, gonna be interesting should be interesting i never want anything on black friday mm -hmm. there is nothing that i when i look at the the deals and the sales and I'm like I don't need another television mm -hmm. what if it's an incredibly good deal i.e. the phones that I got best deal ever well I suppose I could be but I you know what though that was a ridiculously good deal it was awesome what, All right, let me tell you about it? Yeah, uh, let me tell you guys about this, right? Keeping so us. I'm not I'm not a Black Friday uh, you know type person it's just not I don't have the energy to wake up early and do That's that it, for right. things uh, yeah, I'm fine. So, skipped it. Um, but I was looking, and I noticed this interesting deal at Best Buy. And it had expired, so I didn't think much of it. But it was basically get two new Google Pixel phones. Um, 
And the only thing you have to do is add a line onto your service. So Verizon usually does that, you know, add a line, but then you're on the hook for the contract for two years. That's, you know, the way they did it was you pay the full price of the phone and we'll give you credits every month for mm -hmm. up to 24 months. And it comes down to, I think, 240 bucks. What Best Buy did was you just pay 240 bucks and we'll charge you $10 a month. So it ends up being the same, but there's nothing holding you onto the contract. You mm -hmm. could just outright pay the 240 at the beginning if you wanted. So I was super like, hmm, that's interesting. Sunday rolls around, Best Buy ads, I don't know why, get a $100 gift card with each phone you buy. So I was like, this is like 140 bucks a phone. This is amazing. Uh -huh. So I go in and I say, how many phones you got? And they said, we got two. And I was like, I'll buy them both. So I buy them both and add them. Go to Verizon the next day saying, hey, I want to pay off my phones. And he's like, yeah, it looks like there's some interesting thing going on here. You get both the phones. You owe us 240 And I said, well, I bought two. It should be 480 And he said, there's only one here. You got charged for one. And I was like, I don't want to do this. Like, I'm already getting the biggest deal ever. So we're going back and forth talking. And he says, I can't charge you if I want to. It's just not here. I can't create a bill for you to pay. And I was wow. like, all right. So I ended up getting, yeah, for $40, two phones, and $200 worth of gift cards to Best Buy. And that's like, I feel like it's appealing to the basest level of me of consumerism. You know, just like yeah. things. Like, now I have two. Yeah, I'm hoarding my, little, for, yeah, my Best Buy money and my multiple phones, just staring at them at home. One for each ear. <laughs> well, wow. Yeah. Perfect. That's fantastic. But yeah. It's, I don't know. It's consumerism. It's, it's part of America. It's, it's deeply embedded. I didn't need any of that stuff, but I did it. It's now the culture. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Tenemi, I don't know, I don't know where we're going with this, but I think it's here to stay for a little while. Uh, let's uh, hear from Cole, who uh, calls from the road. Hi, Dave. This is Cole coming from Ann Arbor, Michigan, on the interview trail for residency. Um, you asked the question, <laughs> who would be the one person in medicine you could be? Um, you said famous person, but I'm just going to take this in my own direction. I'd be Elizabeth Blackwell. She is the uh, British-born physician who was the um, first woman to receive a medical degree in the United States. And I think she's a testament to some people make big strides in medicine that are procedural, and some people make basic science contributions, and some people figure out epidemiology of certain trends that are tough to figure out. And there's people who make big social strides in medicine. And that's pretty cool too. And, you know, even though there's a ton of things and maneuvers, right? There's things like um, the B -B Babinski reflex <laughs> and- uh, Good job. You know, Hebridean nodules, all these sort of interesting nomenclature. But I don't think you'd ever call someone a Blackwell, which would be someone who transcends or sort of breaks through social norms in medicine. So I think she's pretty cool. Um, she died in 1910, so I don't think she can be on the show. Um, she lived to be 89 back then, which is pretty cool. So try, that is mine. Um, hope to be on the show shortly. Bye. <clears throat> Elizabeth Blackwell. That was pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. There... I like it. Good thought, Cole. So go check out Elizabeth Blackwell. Thanks, Cole, for uh, calling in about that. And uh, last... We have Arisa. Arisa, I'm just going to play this because I don't know. I just like really love cats. Like they're all so awesome. And I just <laughs> love cats so much. Um, my cat is my favorite. 
but I really like all cats. I just think they're all so wonderful. They're like these weird bendy animals that we just have around <laughs> in our house or outside. Oh, wherever it is that cats go, and they just like they're just there, and then they're just awesome by being there. It's, it's just really awesome. Like, like why are cats so amazing? <laughs> they're so cute. They're fluffy, and they have these cute ears, and they have these like cute paws, and like oh my god, their paws are so squishy, and like, and they do things, and it's just really, really awesome. I just really, really, really love cats. <laughs> 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 Finally, something for me to talk about. I do things too. People don't rave about that. <laughs> <laughs> I also love cats. Yeah, I don't think uh, I, Mark's expression. <laughs> Mark's just disgust the, the whole time. Oh no, you don't. You're not. I, I loathe cats. Why? No. The worst. Why? No. They smell. No. They smell. They do. No. Oh, the actual cat. Cat poop is the worst. You yeah. have your little litter box, and it it's horrific. No, it's not the if you worst. clean it every day. Like a response, but they're still. You no, gotta, I'm sorry. When you when they when they're in the act of pooping, it's happening. Yeah, I'm not. Stinks. I'm not gonna be there with a bag, like immediately grabbing it. That's no. what I want. I want zero seconds. You use this like Arm and Hammer, uh, baking soda uh, solution, I guess. I don't know, and sprinkle it on the cat litter, and it just. Oh. I don't know. They're just, and they just they're manipulative. <laughs> they're a little too smart. It's horrible. <laughs> They're only they're only affectionate when they need things. My buddy had a cat that would like start limping if it wasn't getting attention. And I think it had learned that we would look and say, "Hey, what happened? Did the you know did the cat fall? Did something?" Yeah. And then you'd go and pet it, and it'd be fine. Mm-hmm. It was the most manipulative thing on earth. I do that too, though. Yeah. <laughs> Let's be fair. It's like Kitty Munchausen's. It's the world. Oh. <laughs> Are you a dog person, though? Uh, I'm cool with dogs. Uh, we get along. We do well. They're yeah. just, they like to exist. They like to just enjoy the moment. They don't need attention. I feel like, much. I, I feel like personality me. wise, mm. dog fits you better than cat. I mean, you're <laughs> just, you're, you are, if I had to equate an animal, a spirit animal with you, it would be dog, <laughs> dog more than it would be cat. I mean, okay. that's, yeah. All right. So I don't know if that's a compliment. I think you can think be both. A, I think you can be both a dog and cat person. Yeah, I think that's what more, most people tend, I think, to be like a pet person or a not pet person mm-hmm. would be the binary. Mm-hmm. But for me, it's yeah, just not cats. Anything okay. but cats. I actually volunteer at the animal shelter. I just started oh. a few oh, months yes. ago, and um, I'm going there right after this. Oh, and cool. Fun. My job is to socialize with the cats so they can kind of get acquainted with what it's like to play with people. Oh, my and God. If, if Arisa joined up, yes. I think she would probably die. Uh, there's a, I think that's there's how a spot she got for you, cat. Arisa. <laughs> oh, okay. She volunteered oh. there for a while and ended up adopting oh, her. Oh, okay. really? I'm pretty sure oh, that's wow. how that went down. I just imagine her like walking in and just exploding it's great i go i like to go after exams and it's just a nice little way to decompress and play with some kittens it's yeah great. my uh my roommate has a cat and i i think that that cat has contributed so much to our um our well-being and probably mm-hmm. raised our grades to some extent i mean yeah. it's so nice to come home and have this like fluffy happy yes. thing um although we like to joke her name's nora and we like to joke that like if nora was our our third roommate like a person that she would be like unbearable you know because when she's hungry she meows at you so can you imagine a person like screaming at you to feed them um but other than that yeah she's great yeah is your roommate maggie yeah she is okay yeah nora and nora is the cutest cat i'm sorry to my cat cat at home okay um it's cute too but nora is holds a special place in my heart now yeah well irisa i'm glad you've found such joy and happiness 
Um, Keep it up. I'm sorry that uh, Mark <laughs> doesn't agree. I mean, you know, not everybody, not everybody gets you. I don't disagree. I mean, to each their own. Enjoy, enjoy your pet of choice. That's cool. But he will wrinkle his nose in disgust at your enthusiasm. Are you allergic? I am. Maybe that's. Uh, I think that's it because people who. But are... I'm allergic to dogs too. Oh. Hmm. Sad. I never had a pet. Ever really? Growing up. Of any. Okay. Dave, nothing. Well, I, I, I had. Okay. So. No I think I've rock. told this on this story on the show before, but it was a long time ago, so I'll tell it again. Uh, when I was in the tenth grade, maybe ninth grade, I don't know, high school. Mm-hmm. Um, I decided to enter the science fair. I don't know why. Never had any interest in such things before, but I decided to enter the science fair. I don't know if you're getting a tr- you sort of a poster board, and you yeah. thought I want to do one of those. Yeah. Oh, look at that. <laughs> so I acquired two budgies. What is a what's a budgie? budgie? A little bird, a little right? Budgerier parakeet. Oh. Little, little guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I uh, put them in separate cages. Um, put them in separate. Put those cages in uh, separate boxes, inside of which was a light source, and uh, varied the light source and and figured out a way to measure with my ancient, you know, what then state of the art uh, computer when they were sleeping and and when they weren't hmm. by putting a switch on their on their perches and. All this, huh. all this kind of stuff and I, you know it was it was pretty fun um i made it i got first place in the school science fair somehow wow nice and then i went to the regionals and i was disqualified for cruelty to animals is that oh, true no. yes. that's awesome oh no oh my god <laughs> because uh yeah i was uh keeping them in some sort of an unnatural uh, state as far what? as the amount of light they were getting because oh, the cage is so natural already I don't yeah <laughs> like be I don't, a decent human being you keep them in a cage yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness my uh my science teacher said he thought it was bullshit but <laughs> um but anyway yeah that's that's as far as that does that does that count as pets like subjects no I mean that's what I'm saying like that's as close as I've interesting closest I've gotten um, to pets. Well, we were, my family was always, you know, allergic to animals and mm. stuff like that. I had a cat growing up. Yeah. Tigger was his name. Oh. Super oh. cool cat. Maybe that's part. Like, just got my heart broken. We had to give it away yeah. when we moved. Uh, oh, that is probably. We let him go. It was a very sad moment. That is sad. Yeah. Like, losing a pet as a child is probably the most devastating experience one can have. Maybe that's what it is. Is it good for you? Does it build character? Uh, Depends on how many no. times it happens. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Wait, does does more equal build character or less? Well, okay. If you have one, you're like, good. Okay, I've had one. You know, you need one to kind of know what it's like. But then if you have more than that, it's just terrible. So after one, you, you treasure the second? No. After two? No, that's not what I mean. Oh, never mind. I, <laughs> no, I'm curious. I'm saying the more pe- devastating pet experiences you have, the oh. worse off you will be gotcha gotcha okay i thought you meant just like the more pets no. you subsequently lose the better off nope. you'll be gotcha. the better a person no, you are yeah not like at you all. build resilience just or something you. how many how many how many pets did you lose as a i've as a lost child? a lot i have two it's really hard, like difficult it's rough, to talk yeah. about yeah I guess it depends on the situation. We had uh, Aaron's like, I don't give a shit. No, 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 no. We had we uh, had chickens growing up, and not like a big farm. You know, we had maybe ten at a time. And our first ones were were precious. 
I mean, and they, they, all of them were, I mean, we got really attached to them. I like to say that I was a really cool kid because people like to come over and uh, hang out in my backyard and play with my chickens. Pretty, I think that, that makes pretty me pretty cool. cool. But, uh, that is the, the weirdest definition of cool. I've no, 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 okay. no, 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 it was cool. Okay. Um, I like Sorry. it. It was cool. Didn't no, it's okay. It. But the first ones that, that died were, it was devastating. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had all kinds of problems. Like raccoons would come in and just oh, like, my. just, oh, it was horrible. But I mean, in a way, like 50 chickens later, it was like, oh, okay. Like, <laughs> like this is just how it it's goes. A num- it's a numbers game. Yeah. But um, you, get, you develop a hard heart, though. Yeah, I mean, it was always sad, but I guess maybe it was just because the older we got, it was easier. But um, so wait, yeah. so wait a minute. Are we are we circling in on the nub of the gist here? Like Amy, I mean, um, damn it. <laughs> I'm Julie. Julie. <laughs> Amy too. Julie, are you saying that the more pets that die, the harder your heart is? Yes. What? No. I think so. Well, no, they didn't just die. Like, we had to get rid of them, like Mark's situation. And that's That's really hard. That's hard. We had to give up a dog once, and it was... That, yeah, that's yeah. that's almost more difficult than when a, oh, a pet dies. It's a lack of closure. I'm for- and it's also a resource thing. I'm forgetting. Like- for my part, I'm forgetting Sully. Sully was See, not you my. Re- you repressed it. Sully was Man, not my. Pushed it so thing far is, down. <laughs> Sully was not my pet. Sully was a my roommate's sibling. pet. Oh, Golden gotcha, Retriever gotcha. was my sibling. Yes. It's my brother. <laughs> my mother. Um, <laughs> no, Sully was a Golden Retriever owned by uh, one of my roommates who we surreptitiously tried to surreptitiously keep in our apartment, and ultimately that didn't work out, and Sully had to go back to uh, her parents' house to to live sully was the best freaking dog his only downside was that he peed with joy whenever he saw (laughs) uh but uh yeah he was just awesome i still have very strong feelings for sully and uh and so yeah i can you know that's my i forgot about sully yeah this wasn't just budgies <laughs> anyway, thank you guys. We're we're uh, we're out of time. What? Oh, I went by quick. I know. Yeah. Thank you, listeners, for making us a part of your week. And if you like what you heard today, consider sharing us with your friends. It's just a thought. And send a suggestion on what we might discuss next time at shortcoats@gmail.com or at three four seven short ct. Like our Facebook page. Why not? Where every week I ask listeners to send in their thoughts on allegedly profound things. The show is made possible by a generous donation by Carver College of Medicine Student Government and the Writing and Humanities Program. Our executive producer is Jason Lewis. Our opening music is by Dr. Fox. And our closing music is by Argo Fox. Talk to you in one week. <laughs> <laughs>